The year is 1989. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. My Marvelous Year, the Marvel Reading Club and Podcast, where we go through Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Dave Busing, the founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and my guest today is a startling reflection of myself. Voted hottest podcast host, one tweet running. That's right, I'm joined today <laughs> by my own stunning image, and then second billing behind that, I've got Zach here. How's it going, Zach? Very good. I knew you were gonna. You couldn't make it without bringing this up. But yes, I, I also, did get I also uh, someone to tweet. About, uh, somebody on Twitter just randomly tweeting like, "What an attractive comic book boy!" Listen, <laughs> it made my day. It absolutely. It, it made more than my day. Clearly, it's been like a week now since that happened. I'm still talking about it. Um, that's right. Over on the at Comic Book Herald Twitter handle, I freak. I commonly get comments about how good looking I am. And it's very, very encouraging. I love it. I, I need more of this. <laughs> well, okay. Um, so. It was one time. Let's not let's not get carried away. <laughs> no, it's like if it ha- it just keeps happening. I don't know why yeah. it keeps happening, but it does. It's extremely um, nice. Um I, I enjoyed that. Had a good laugh about it with my wife. Uh but of course on the My Marvelous Year podcast, we don't just talk about how very, very good looking we are. I Zach, I would say the reason you're not getting as many comments like that one I'm very good looking, oh, but right. two is people don't know what you look like as much, right? Maybe, maybe the people who join our live apps for my Marvel yeah, year, um, on, and, and this yeah, could be I a little plug here, a fair amount using the my that's Marvel's true. You year do stream, to, you know, stream video games or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, yeah we're, we're we really need to run to an audit. Be a, a Twitch affiliate if I get a couple more followers there. Is that so? Mm-hmm. All right. Follow My Marvelous Year on Twitch. Yeah. Watch Zach say, play some video games. And then uh, every so often for a varying episode, which we, we haven't done in a minute in here in 2021, but we do like to record live episodes uh, for the varying crowd, uh, which is a lot of fun when we have our, our supporters and fans uh, over at patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year, where yep. you can support the show. Again, we are entirely listener supported with the exception, of course, of the sponsorship of our generous benefactor, comicbookherald.com. All right, so today <laughs> wait, we're covering... Wait, break that down for yes. me? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so ha- My Marvelous Year is fusion. entirely <laughs> listener-supported, uh-huh. right? People back yes. us, and yeah, they, yeah. they can donate money at My Marvelous Year, or at patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year. Super generous of people that choose to do that. Mm-hmm. And we make that's one way we make money. And then the other way that we're funded is through our uh, very generous, handsome benefactor, Comic Book Herald. It's a website, comicbookherald.com. Incredible content going up regularly these days. Um, Truly, literally the most stuff that's ever been going up on comicbookherald.com. And guess what? It's getting really good. It is. Because there's a lot of different uh, uh, contributors. So it's pretty cool to have like a leading comics website back in your podcast. You turn this kind of joke question into an actual plug for your (laughs) website. I didn't, I didn't hear a joke. I heard I heard an earnest, sincere boy asking a sincere boy's question. Uh, I have, <laughs> what a way to phrase it. I have a. I want to read an iTunes review that we have and encourage people yes, to go over please. to iTunes. Eight bit, eight bit chick 
review says new journey in 2021 is a person who reads at least 20 comics a week with zero friends love it, love it. to talk with zero friends to oh, talk no. to about comics i wanted a oh, podcast fair. that talks about my passion i'm i love this so far i'm on the 10th episode and while i normally don't like spoilers i'll be binging the show thank you very much for the lovely review uh he will he or she or they will get to this they're on episode 10 as of last week they'll probably be hearing this and you know march april something like that so uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what people's binge rates of consumption are, but that is a kind review. Thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoy it. You know, I got to say, too, like, I don't have friends who talk about comics either. Like, I get this comment a lot from people mm. on CBH or via My Marvelous Year. People are like, yeah, I don't have anyone else to talk about comics. So I love, like, it's the coolest thing about about starting a comic book website is you find all these people. Like, yeah. I know, obviously, like, like the world of being super online turns out there are problems <laughs> like turns out there's backlash and that that gets all the attention these days but the thing that we don't talk about a lot is you find these kind of communities and and friendships and people just talk about these things that you love remember that remember that being cool because i do and that's that's part of why i love comic book herald and my marvelous year especially where we get folks to gather like in the mmy slack um but even just like tweeting and being like hey i like comics i want to talk about these yeah. Uh, it's it's super encouraging. I, I love it. And again, like I, that's not a thing. And like even you, Zach, even you, hmm. it's like, hey, I got I got this pal to talk to comics about, uh, you know, for an hour for an hour a week, right? Yeah. Like, agreed. Yeah, you know, it's like a, a collaboration turned, like you know, like like uh, lifelong partnership, like a lifelong. Because <laughs> truly, when when might this end? We don't know. We're in 1989. This could go forever, mm-hmm. uh, Zach, until one of us uh, turns gray. And, and back to dust, you know? Yeah, sure. Uh, How sad will that be? Oh, man, this is getting dark. Like, yeah. like is it going to be me with, like, a mic and a, a recording kit teleporting to, like, you know, your your little gravesite and, like, still trying to have hour-long All conversations? All right, I'm of, recording and, Cracking Krakoa uh, 1237 here at the <laughs> gravesite of my longtime podcast co-host. <laughs> We st- Me just getting madder and madder. <laughs> I, really wish, I really wish Hickman would wrap this one up. Uh, the uh, yeah, it, it is fun. Like I don't think I have that many friends who read comics. Um, I feel like I brought this up before. One of my closest friends I've talked to about comics, and he's been kind of interested. He listened to some of the the early episodes of the show, and he's like vaguely interested in comics. But every time I talk to him about it, he's like, I don't know how to read them. Do you ever meet someone like that who's just like, I don't know, like, what, what do I do? How long do I look at the pictures for? That's his big hang up. He's yeah. like, I don't know how yeah. long to look at the pictures for. And that's such a baffling thing to me. But like Danny Fingeroff. No, I, I've up. had that with with yeah. family yeah. And, and stuff where I give them like, oh, I think you might like this comic. Like, check it out. And uh, and they're like, yeah, the reading experience is just weird. Like, and it, it's something where then like a Scott McCloud's understanding comics where he explains like, here's the motion. Here's what the panels are doing. And like the real intricacies of it, it becomes less of an academic thing and more of like a hands-on tactical, like here's how you, <laughs> here's how you approach this story. Cause if you didn't grow up with it in any capacity, I it, I guess it is strength. It, it's like hard to get my head around yeah, totally. how it would be hard to read a comic. Cause I'm so immersed in them, but I, I do hear that. It is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, like, it, I, that always cracked me up. He's just like, what, what do I, I always feel like I'm not looking at it long enough, so I like read all the words and then I stare at the pictures and I'm like, "All right, <laughs> like do a, do a quick five Just count," and then I'm like, "All right, I self count it out." Yeah, yeah, I think I did it. I think I did enough looking. Time for the next page. Like it's just this very, yeah, mechanical yeah. thing. Anyway. Let's get into some comics. We only read two different series here today, but there's quite a lot to chew on. Um, mm-hmm. I will say more with the West Coast Avengers than Spider-Man, but let's start out with the Spider-Man 315. Yeah, yeah. so we read uh, today, and all the comics that we read 
Mm-hmm. Every episode are listed in the show notes. You can also find the full guide updated on the regular over at, uh, again, it's available via patreon.com slash year. You can get the original guides over on comicbookherald.com. That's pretty easy to find for freebies. Um, again, like you don't have to pay to play here. All the comics are listed in free locations. Just if you want the whole thing at once, that is available on Patreon.com. And again, um, I am close to finalizing the 1990 list as we record this. I'm I'm adding so much that I didn't have in 2015, 2016, um, including some of the comics we're going to talk about today. Cool. But yeah, Amazing Spider-Man with 315 to 317. We are still in the David Michelini, Todd McFarlane era. And this is the big return of our friendly neighborhood, Venom. Um, We read about Venom, his debut in issue number 300. This is the return of the Michelinie and McFarlane creation. And this one is, uh, it continues to be pretty good. I'm always kind of struck by how strong Venom does come out of the gates. Like, it shouldn't be surprising, right? It's like Venom became, you know, one of the biggest things in Marvel, obviously, heading into the 90s. But it's always interesting to me, like, just like, oh yeah, these comics are pretty good. It's not it's not just the design. It's not just that McFarlane art. Even though that is in of itself like it just it just feels like an era. It just feels like, oh, we have this artist here who is like control he was turned Spider Man into something bigger mm-hmm. than what it was before he arrived. And like I just I don't aside from the the Silver Age debut, obviously, like there's not a lot of moments like that, which is pretty cool. Um what do you think about these? Well, have there, you I guess you probably would not have read these before, right? No, definitely not. No, it, it's interesting yeah. what you're saying about Venom because like it is always kind of a, a you know, a flip of the coin whether or not the, the first appearance of a villain is going to be like Thanos, right? Like Thanos where it's like, oh wow, this really set the stage for Thanos and every time Thanos shows yeah. up, it's exciting because he's been great since the beginning. Or if it's gonna be like Ultron, or um, who was I just thinking of? Uh, Apocalypse, right? Where it's like, okay, well, they'll, they'll get better. You, you know, like almost like cameo-ish, not fully what they'll become. Yeah, right. I like hear you, what you're saying. the only reason I'm even really paying attention to them or like noting them above other kind of boring villains is because I know that they're going to become these big deals later. You know, it's going to be a thing. Where whereas these are actually just straight up some of Venom's yeah, good. most interesting stories in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, very, yeah, very good. I, I keep thinking when I'm reading these that like if it wasn't for McFarlane's art, I think these would be if we plopped these down in the middle of you know 1982 and had whoever was doing Spider-Man arc art in the Roger uh, Stern and right that era. I don't even know. We're past. We're post friends at that point probably yeah, but yeah but like, no, I, to- I think totally you're right I like mean McFarlane normal, elevates it to a level yeah totally like good serviceable fun Spider-Man comics which I always like like I'm always here to read a you know Spider-Man doing Spider-Man stuff with, with there's some exceptions there's some exceptions that like rise above but generally I think it's just like pretty good solid Spider-Man comics that don't do anything too notable except for the art the art really does I mean I think it, that's yeah. kind of true of most everything that stands out in this era like it, it most storylines that we are into also have complementary at least like idiosyncratic and interesting visual components well, i mean that's, um, probably that's the books. exception to <laughs> like no, well no no i know like not no but like to, there, it's not like baseline like average marvel stuff generally right like yeah. claremont and john byrne on the dark phoenix saga for example right like john byrne right. is doing work that is ahead of the curve at that point in time frank miller coming on to daredevil same thing mm-hmm. right yeah his art obviously is is very memorable bill sinkevich and all the partnerships they have there obviously stands out for a number of reasons um it, walt simonson's thor obviously we have differing opinions on how good that is uh but it's a it's a memorable art style you know it when you see it right yeah um i would say like with uh with claremont 
and his X-Men, that's probably the biggest exception to this rule where, again, I think there are very good artists who touch on X-Men throughout the eras, uh, many of whom like go on to superstardom or do some of career best work, but often it's it's more of a Claremont-driven vehicle throughout the decade right, than it yeah. is like, in, you know, like McFarlane again, like being, because McFarlane stands out here in a way that David Michelini does not, even though like a creator who has done really good work, like a probably a pretty underrated Marvel creator. We've liked a lot of his I, stuff. I like his Iron Man, um, actually. I think his Iron Man writing is better than this. And I like this, fine. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have any complaints about this. I just also don't have like. Oh, I do. Really I have one high. Okay. Really like, you know, high praise for it. I think it's pretty good. But I, I think I do like his Iron Man writing both in the past and currently, a little more. I think he's doing slightly more creative things. Yeah. So so Amazing Spider-Man here, uh, issues 315 to 317, they begin with Venom busting out of the vault. So the vault is the Marvel prison for super baddies. And he busts out of the vault. This throws Peter, MJ, and uh, associated friends' lives into chaos because there's this maniac who, last time he saw Spider-Man, said, I'm going to kill you. It is, of course, Venom, uh, Eddie Brock. And so he breaks out. He wants to find Spidey. And what this does a really nice job of is it kind of taps into those like like the Sam Raimi Green Goblin movie um, or the uh, obviously like the better comics reference would be, you know, the the last Stanley and Steve Ditko kind of works. And then like into the John Romita Jr. era with the Green Goblin knowing his identity. Right. Because because the symbiote was attached to Peter Parker for so long, like Eddie Brock has all this knowledge about Peter Parker and Spider-Man. It just ups his threat in a way that, you know, Hydro-Man, who shows up here for a minute, will never get to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Venom knows things about Peter. He shows up at the house. He's ringing the doorbell as Eddie Brock, t- talking to Aunt May, right? He's getting into Peter Parker's life. Very good, In yeah. a way that yeah. that's, all like, almost always the biggest threat to Spidey. It's one thing to beat the heck out of him in the suit. It's another thing to show up to his house. That's always one of the scariest things for Spidey. I think it takes a step farther than Norman Bates. Norman Bates. Norman Osborn. (laughs) (laughs) Fair mix-up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't want Norman Bates talking to your great-aunt either. Um, Or being your great-aunt, even worse. But he, he like, shows up and introduces himself to Aunt May, right? Like, he's doing that, like... And they're, they're, like, getting into a little fight behind her back. Like, he's literally... Eddie Brock is kissing her hand, like, in greeting with his left hand, and his right hand is around her shoulder, and Peter and him are, like, struggling behind her. It's really good, really effective stuff. Um, Just the, like, yeah, he knows where he lives. And kind of solidifies why Spider-Man needs to be the hero with a secret identity. You know, like, it works better with him than almost anyone. Like, I'm so tired of Iron Man (laughs) with it. Captain America, it's a lot less of a concern. But, you know. Well, and it does, right, no, and it sells it again for Spidey, because the crutch that these comics perpetually lean on is like if people know well then people around me will get hurt but nobody has people around me as solidified or as vulnerable as peter parker right like his aunt may is still on death's door like she's been sick for 30 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like again like the shock of finding out that that peter parker was spider-man he still thinks might like you know knock her dead um, so obviously she's vulnerable. We've seen MJ threatened by Venom already. Like that's how issue number 300 begins. And then too, I do think that like they do a good job of selling in this story that like, oh yeah, Venom, like he's got this goofy grin and yes, he's a big, stronger Spider-Man, but also he just kills people and kind of seems to enjoy it. Yeah. Like there's a, yeah. there's a maniacal glee to his like vicious, violent nature Whoa. that does, I mean, with the exception of. I don't know, kind of what we know Green Goblin to become. Like, most Spider-Man villains actually don't behave quite this violently, he, at least up to the, this point. But he does have the thing where he's like, 
he doesn't want he, he keeps talking about how like oh i don't want to get civilians and it's civilians involved you know only kill if i have to blah 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 but then you don't really know if you believe that i'm really curious how they're going to square that circle of like venom you know kind of knowing that venom does not always stay a super baddie here and like yeah kind of knowing yeah. a little about his future because he's he's killing a fair amount of people he kills a soldier to break out of the uh the prison and then he kills a couple other people here um oh hey you do see a little bit of the nuance potentially creeping in of just like yeah of like well i don't want to kill if i don't have to mm-hmm. which yeah. i mean is a <laughs> it's like well on, not on my quest on back here for that on but. my quest to kill spider-man because he got yeah fired exactly i mean he's still very singularly focused me. yeah right yeah oh uh-huh. oh just a complete aside um did you notice the cover of this that the little headline it's like the amazing spider-man and underneath it says the non-mutant superhero <laughs> yeah which is a really yeah, funny thing sure. like in the age of you know the the mutants dominating x or marvel right now yeah you know just distinguishing yourself as the non-mutant and non-mutant is trademarked <laughs> there's a little tm right. also the word superhero right. which is like did marvel trademark the word superhero because that's we would have to investigate if that's wild. a real yeah. thing or not but uh yeah the non-mutant thing definitely catches the eye it is amazing how how massive x-men is i think we maybe even understate that <laughs> in our in our you know reflections on the past um because that's the thing too like cloak and dagger here the series becomes the mutant misadventures of cloak and dagger and they're like not even canonically mutants <laughs> they like they like tried to mutinize them yeah. to, to yeah, yeah. Get, boost sales or whatever but yeah spidey does uh does maintain the non-mutant superhero which actually comes up in x vengeance uh, when we get to that but uh, all right so stylistically um there's one thing that really stands out to me in, in, with McFarlane's art that kind of that kind of bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bigger thing that I dislike about these three issues, which again I think are pretty good all in all, uh, they bring in Black Cat for a moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we have Black Cat. She's coming to visit, um, or she's trying to find Spidey. Right? She's she, they used to date, of course. Um, she knows about Peter and Spidey, and as she's doing this, Venom approaches her. Okay, Venom comes and finds her first as she's looking for Spider Man, and Venom beats the heck out of her. Um, and now this is twice now where we've seen Venom terrorize and, in this case, violently assault, you know, like the women in Spidey's life, it's it's a very poor use of a narrative trope here. Like, we saw it with MJ in 300. Yes, it sells the scariness of Venom. There's an effectiveness to it. I think repeating that same beat and leaving Black Cat in a cowering, uh, you know, like a pile, you know, and then, but her only thought is just about, like, her love of Peter Parker, you know, in that moment, I, I that felt really poorly done. I think they could have used a lot more nuance in that scene. Uh, Venom can win that battle, but it's like Black Cat. She she's not MJ. She has like superpowers. She can do stuff. Yeah, um, no, she I, just I gets know, I thought that was pretty smacked weird. around. And I was thinking about it because McFarlane draws. McFarlane is really starting to be the beginning of us seeing like superheroes or women in the comics being drawn as like, hey, it's a nude body, and then you just kind of draw on the costume, right? Like. It, it, her curves and her like the, the shape of her body is completely unobscured it is just covered in like black latex right like right the, the you know crotch nipples buttocks everything it's, is it's very... wild that yoga pants took as long to catch on as they did <laughs> given how prominently they're on display here which which you know what like okay it, i don't love that but like black cat at least you know kind of wears her sexuality on her sleeve right like it, it makes more sense for her than a lot of characters um but, you know, it's kind of ubiquitous, which is the obnoxious part. Uh, the other thing that But is... it's also that thing of her wearing that sexuality on her sleeve mm-hmm. while being beaten exactly. to a pulp. Exactly. And, and there's then, a crossover the there costume, that is uncomfortable in, in the and way, potentially gross. Yes, totally. In the way that Venom rips her costume off. Like, her costume is getting torn off, and it is not not salacious. 
you know, like there's, yeah, there, yeah. there definitely is like, oh, there's a little more skin show in here, right? And like mixing violence against women with that being sexified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also adds very little to these three issues, you know, sure. which is like, you know, so it's kind of just like, you know, what? I don't, mistake I don't, upon mistake. Yeah. Know? See, for me, it's just like it, it purely comes down to the aesthetic choice of having her costume get torn in the kind of like imagery they show because you know the, the, I, I think it's fine like I, I don't mind Eddie Brock attacking Black Cat or overpowering her necessarily I don't mind the way the scene no, no. plays out but the, the way that like they actually draw it and McFarlane draws this is very like almost fetishizing the violence a little bit it's notable yeah. it's notable yep. again like I don't it doesn't ruin it it's not like don't read these issues but it's it's notable I sure. think you have to pay attention to that yeah. um, the other thing that I do want to call out too is like there's a lot of use here it, McFarlane's panel layouts are, are pretty interesting um, and again like I think no one maybe throw out Dicko and the originators throw out John Romita right no one since has done just a single splash page of Spidey swinging like Todd McFarlane. Totally. Like no one, literally no one before and since, maybe Marcos Martin, okay, to jump way ahead, has caught my eye where I'm like, I just kind of want to take in this page of Spidey swinging. I just like looking at it. I would like to have like all of these as original art up on the wall kind of things, you know? Um, so I do love that. But when when McFarlane, he gets into this panel layout, and I remember Jim Starlin doing this and some of his cosmic stuff, maybe it was an Adam Warlock, where it's very narrow panels okay mm-hmm. it's like pipes across the page and what mcfarland does is he'll zoom in on like an eye on like a nose on like you know like portions of like the photo fo- like the full face has been cropped kind of thing he uses that a fair amount and it really makes me think of like 90s style to come where things gets crowded and difficult to interpret and yeah. i think here yeah. it's not a problem at this point it's not a problem but it's definitely the sort of thing where i'm like oh i can i can feel that influence shaping what's to come where it will be a problem where it's hard to know what's going on i think we've seen <laughs> some of, of that style i think we've seen some of that in ultimate fantastic four with greg land in a way that doesn't work um no i actually think the like the five thin columns well, that's not the greg land i know oh not greg greg land is that <laughs> not not working oh, great uh, i that's yeah, actually yeah. an interesting comp i would not have ever gone there yeah, yeah. um that he had i actually noted that the like the five thin columns on one page and thinking that it yeah. was a little like this doesn't quite work like it, it, it mm-hmm. is it's kind of sacrificing readability in a way that you know like Steranko used to be able to do this like a montage of small images that kind of just set a vibe more than anything else yeah. than like instead of projecting like story across time and space it was more just like well, setting I, I, the tenor of this yeah absolutely like i i think that's exactly it is if you're using it to in in isolation or in small quantities you know to kind of highlight like various elements to do something visually interesting that can be very cool kind of the way that like manga or anime you know will do these just like oh it's just like weird cuts of like the scenery and flowers and kind of just like different vibes of like what is going on in this comic and what's the atmosphere um but this is still it's still trying to do the same sort of level of dialogue and narrative storytelling and that's too much heavy lifting mm-hmm. i think for that yeah. for that structure to hold on to um but again it's it's a fairly small thing in the in the grand scheme of this which ultimately builds to you know a showdown between spider-man and venom on on a beachfront and uh in the big climax here is like venom's gonna win this fight and i do like that about him as a villain is if in early days venom v spider-man venom wins that fight like he just does and i think that's how you sell him as a more powerful villain um but what spider-man's ultimate move here is to strip down to his underwear Mm -hmm. And uh, in in doing so, it then convinces the symbiote that actually that's the body that it wants. And it flees Eddie Brock and the symbiote starts to crawl all over Peter Parker. And then we have like a lady in the tramp spaghetti situation, but with uh, black goop. Right. 
and uh, and this knocks Eddie Brock out. <laughs> so and it kind of works because like yeah, we they, know the symbiote like Spider Man. Spider Man well, brought it back from from Battle World. It's interesting. It, it like toys with the idea. It, we Eddie Brock talks about it a bunch that like the symbiote hates Spider Man just as much as he does, which we haven't heard before. I don't think that was part of the first time we saw Venom. Maybe it is, and I'm mm-hmm. forgetting it. But I think that's interesting. Is that like they literally have a symbiosis of you know like they they both have the same end in mind they both want to get back at peter parker the symbiote and eddie brock and then it's like a team up but then the symbiote betrays eddie brock because it's like yeah he hates spider-man for leaving him and then when spider-man is like come back to me the it's 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 really clever and it like it feels very earned to me yeah no and it's a smart way around i i'm very into comics creators and this is something maybe we don't even talk about enough because um, it's it's starting to happen more, but I'm very and it, it probably as we approach the '90s, it'll happen less. But I'm very into comics creators finding ways around violence, mm-hmm. finding ways around superhero Ooh, violence. Maybe, I, I think yeah. like that is more. <laughs> well, it's just it's more inventive. It's more it's different I mean, than the, what we've the, seen before. And this is a clever like example of that. Even though it's all there, you still get the big fisticuffs. The, the, my prime example of that, which is from this era already, and I've, I've plugged this a million times already. One of my favorite superhero runs, the uh, the first five issues, five or six of George Perez's Wonder Woman, has like. A beautiful. Never heard of it. Yeah, shut it. As a beautiful conclusion <laughs> to uh, which is w- what is basically the first Wonder Woman movie, and comes up with a right like, ten right. times more fascinating and like interesting than is it? Uh, Ugh, is so it good. Professor Lupin getting real big and fighting on oh, a on an airplane field? That's incredible. That that they were like, hey, you know, we have a perfect like all, one of the all time best showdowns between a hero and villain. Let's just turn it into like kind of a muddy CGI punch fight. Yeah. Oh my god, it yeah. drives me crazy. Anyway, yes, yeah, I totally agree. Did you see Wonder Woman 84? I have not. It reminds me. I probably will at no. some point, but no. I, okay. I kind of lost okay. interest. I just saw that, so I just canceled my HBO Max because I, you know, I got my Wonder Woman and I was oh. gravely disappointed. And uh, and then I canceled it, but then I just saw today that Static Shock got announced. Uh, they're going to do an animated Static Shock they're bringing back, so now I'm like, well, maybe I just need to keep HBO Max all the time. I, th- I think I just got to have that yeah, in Disney+. Plus. I watch a lot of HBO. Do you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a sophisticated watching, adult. Uh, you you are so sophisticated. Yeah. They have That's what they I have like a about crazy you. good catalog. Not to turn it HBO Max, it's just like oh I know yeah I know. yeah they have a wide like Cartoon Network, Studio Ghibli. They have a ton of like TF or um, Turner Classic Movie stuff. A really good catalog. It's uh, it's pretty TCM deep. baby yeah. TCM. All right, speaking yeah. of classics, mm-hmm. speaking Ooh. of what strong catalog, what a surprise this was. Was this on the My Seer list the first time? I think so. I don't know how it wouldn't have been. I think maybe I didn't include as much of mm-hmm. it or something yeah, yeah, yeah. or i jumped around issues a little bit so this is going to be west coast avengers number 42 to number 49 and number 52 okay mm-hmm. so this is a story arc known as vision quest with a little gla not jla mm-hmm. a little great lakes avengers sprinkled in and this is written and drawn by uh, a big time marvel creator john byrne comes and takes over west coast avengers in a story that honestly as we record this here in january 2021 is crazy relevant yeah, um, yeah. it's it's very interesting <laughs> as wandavision is happening yeah. on disney Plus. like literally you know, tomorrow so- we're gonna probably find out a little bit more like this is spoiling tomorrow's episode of wandavision for me <laughs> tomorrow will be episode four yeah. <laughs> so do you feel like you were spoiled by by no, virtue no, of reading not, this, not really uh, this but i was line? like oh wow this is yeah. this is a topic that's probably going to get covered in tomorrow's episode <laughs> yeah it's right for sure it's it's a good one to read now um and, and the reason for that is this west coast avengers story deals heavily with wanda and vision obviously the story being you know kind of subsequently titled vision quest um and and kind of just their role like throughout avengers history now 
it's not a story without controversy. In fact, there is a lot of controversy yeah, around this, sure. especially the way it'll progress even into like 1990 as the story progresses. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um, I guess the first thing I want to say is we've had back and forths increasingly so about John Byrne as a creator, kind of where you and I stand on him. Obviously, stuff he's done in the 80s stands as very important Marvel work, like his work on X-Men with Chris Claremont incredibly important big storylines right no no doubt about it in either of our minds you love alpha flight i think his fantastic four is often very good i think you would agree um and then like what else has he done um and, and then some one-offs here and there you know we read like a, a incredible hulk story we didn't think much of but him he hasn't really done avengers proper mm-hmm. i guess yeah. up to this point um obviously he goes to dc prior to this for a few years does man of steel um, does the big Superman line, you know, post-crisis on Infinite Earths, obviously an immensely influential creator. You don't need me to sell you on that. But in the modern context, it is incredibly um, uncool <laughs> to be super into John Byrne, right? Like in in the modern 2021 context, because of, you know, the fact that he's come out as like very transphobic and just said some kind of hateful things mm-hmm. that people obviously want nothing to do with. And, and I totally, totally understand. Yeah. And and agree with with that um it's but so, as we're talking I, about 80s comics this, though, you can't deny the influence it's so interesting because like looking at this now in a vacuum he's one of the more progressive uh like creators we have as far as women and gay characters you know like if, if you are not looking at his like him being a well gay characters how uh north star north star yeah, well, i mean he wanted north star to be uh, canonically gay and shooter stopped him like he said that uh, is that right yeah okay and, yeah and man of I, you've read more alpha flight than i have yeah. so i don't know how much and then man there. of steel he um he introduces a uh um not what's what's the what's the cop in metropolis the female cop he like explicitly makes Ooh, maggie yeah maggie, yeah, maggie sorry yeah he explicitly makes yeah, her maggie. lesbian there's no like you know you don't really have to read between the lines and superman is in like and and she has she's a single mother with a child and she's a lesbian and sure. superman is there being like i don't understand why people don't you know mind their own business kind of thing right so Good like you. yeah that's a big deal in uh, in the 80s so at the yes. time yes very progressive for this stuff and then you know and then he got old and he got cranky and he you know he, he hit his limit uh for how far he was willing to go with <laughs> progressive thought yeah a lot of no it's do. a bummer yeah. and like and obviously you know this is something we talk about a lot it's something I'm, i talked about today because there's you know a similar thing going on in modern x-men comics where it's this creator that a lot of folks are like, they have done awful things. Do we, what do we do? How do we handle that, right? How do we do that with comics? And, and everyone kind of has their own limits and lines. But, you know, I think our big thing throughout my Marvel's year has been like, we will give you the facts and the reality of the situation. And obviously, I think then at the end of the day, um, it is up to you how you wish to interpret yeah, those. And if, if yeah. first, because we've, we've had people say to us too, like, I just can't read x because of this problem yeah, right yeah, because yeah, of sure. you know it's set in an era where casual racism was was more prevalent or just more you know on display or whatever um whatever the rationale like i totally we totally hear it right but yeah. for us it's like i'm not going to tell you what is and isn't acceptable but i you know we'll talk about like what is on our end now all of that is way bigger picture honestly and and just kind of backdrop and, and scene setting than what is actually here in west coast events yes yeah. oh know, for sure because again I, I don't yeah, we'll we'll get to the very end here. I think the very end is worthy of discussion. But besides that, I think uh, this was a huge surprise for me because I did not <clears throat> I did not know he came on West Coast Avengers. I'm gonna this is gonna be my hot take of the day, maybe. Okay. I think this is not just the best West Coast Avengers. I think it's the best Avengers we so far. Like I was very into this. This was the most enjoyed enjoyable time i've had reading avengers comics and i've liked some avengers comics i like the stern era stuff um i just like 
he was over at DC while uh, Justice League International was being written, and I feel like he just read that comic and was like, "Oh, I can do that. Let me let me do that over on uh, on the yeah. Avengers side because there are a lot of similarities to that, right? Like, it's less f- it's less funny, I I would say. It's it's got less of the goofball humor that JLI really nails. It does, but it has. Um, I mean, it's got the the like. Hawkeye kind of does the same thing as Green Lantern as a uh, what's his name uh, Guy Gardner, where he's just like I want to yeah. be in charge, and U.S. Agent is stepping in to do the Batman thing of just like putting him yeah. down and like knocking him down a peg. I don't know; it's still funny. That's though. a good like, comp. I hadn't thought of that, but I, I think you're totally right. Mockingbird, I, I is, I, you know, I think that's like a great making fun of him all the time, right? Like, <laughs> it, I, yeah. I just think he's he is writing like my favorite interpretation of most of these characters, like Tigra, Wonder Man, Hawkeye, Mockingbird. Uh, well, it's here. You maybe not U.S. Agent. I think uh, U.S. Agent is maybe a little. I like how he does U.S. Agent, but I think maybe it's yeah. It's a transformation. It's kind of a transition period for yeah. U.S. Agent as we get him out of yeah. the Cap era, and now it's this new but sort it, of it like feels very natural. all government. You know, I'm here to enforce the the government's will on this yeah. Avengers squad yeah. version, right? So, so because the last we saw U.S. Agent is he got sniped. Yeah, some, <laughs> we, some people we just saw him get assassinated. To, so, so I actually, He's better. I, I went back and I did end up reading more of the. Um, the Grunwald Captain America. I read like the next six or seven issues, and it does yeah. lead like Battlestar goes to find out what happened to U.S. Agent who assassinated him, etc. And he eventually finds out there's a government cover up that they like pretended to assassinate him so that they could get him on this team, which doesn't really make sense because like why would like U.S. Agent is going to be out in the public, right? Like, <laughs> um, I guess maybe they're thinking that people won't connect the dots, but whatever i don't know yeah. man yeah, yeah. I, I definitely don't know on that front but it it does get him on west coast avengers which is a again like you said like it is actually a fairly fun team yeah it's when a, you put all you know u.s agent tigra mockingbird hawkeye um all these different oh, I mean, hank pym yeah. as sort of the yeah. the martian manhunter almost of the unit um i love the jli comp there i it's a less good it's not as good as jli um but it, it's, it's close at the end of the day it's close for me I, I'm, i've been reading oh i don't J- think it's that close I mean, I, jli is extraordinary J- jli i think is a lot more revolutionary for the team and for like maybe jli gets more points because it was first um and i do think it is better like i like jli more than this but it's it's closer than i would have guessed well sure i think that's fair and i think again like i gave that backdrop kind of to build to the point of saying like john Byrne at this point in his career knows how to tell a really good comic story yeah um and i think vision quest it has a feeling of being important of tapping into these characters in a way that we haven't seen and then it also there is sort of with that confidence of knowing how to tell a very good comic story there's an overconfidence (laughs) <laughs> potentially in like course correcting characters that didn't need it like john Byrne has a tendency and it's going to really get conflated i think as he progresses and gets crankier and stodgier and set in his ways to like he like to dictate himself as like i'm the creator who knows what these characters need mm-hmm. i'm going to throw everything else out and do my thing and that happens here in particular with scarlet witch and vision in a way that like they've never been able to break free from you know, so that that to me is like, OK, when you think about the influence and the impact, that's where a lot of the controversy and the negativity creeps in. But as a storyline, like in the moment, mm-hmm. again, especially like you're saying compared to Avengers, because like when you say it's the best Avengers we've read, I mean, I want to fight that, but I can't like off the top of my head. I don't like Avengers that much. There aren't that many other stories I can pick under Siege, I think, is a popular yeah, that one that maybe, you know, like that's pretty good stuff. Um we're not either of us is I'm more into Thomas uh, Neil Adams than you are. And I wouldn't pick that over this too. So it's like, it does. I, again, I like some of that stern stuff, but to, you know, it's like, it's good. He, he knows how to make and, good comics. You know, what's funny. Um, is he, he there's kind some of, weird stuff here, but it kind of works. You know, what's fun about John Byrne is he like, 
he seems to like the same like Silver Age stuff I do. <laughs> like he often like calls back to like I feel like his callbacks are all stuff that I really respond to, whether that's just you know mm. coincidence or like we have the same taste in comics. Um, so like I kind of dig all the like the old Golden Age Human Torch, Ultron, Vision, Wonder Man mix up stuff. Like when we read all that back with uh who wrote all that stuff? Was that Engelhart? I love Steve Engelhart yeah, which, in the Celestial Madonna. Which side. I do not always love Steve Engelhart, but I like that stuff a lot. Like that that kind of uh, that filling of Vision's backstory was something I really responded to at the time. And then like yeah. he calls back to, a couple times to Hank Pym, um, like having gone inside of Vision, right? Like he's been, uh, which is yeah. really fun. Like we love that issue. That was like a real standard. It's probably the best us, issue of the Kree Scroll War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uses that in a really fun way here, which is that Hank Pym shrinks down. Ultron is attacking the Avengers base. Hank Pym shrinks down Wonder Man and says, "Like fly into his mouth." And Wonder Man's like, <laughs> uh, "I don't know if that's a great. Like I don't want to get stuck in there." And then Hank Pym, Hank Pym, like weirdly, is just like Wonder Man, please. <laughs> like guilt him into doing it. <laughs> like his tone of voice is really funny. But then Wonder Man yeah. goes inside, and then like the shrink ray wears off, and he bursts out of him in a really great panel. It's so much fun. Like, it's a really basic, simple concept. Yeah. But it's, like, a fun little clever way to end the fight. And he's just full of those. Like, it's never... It feels like it's never really showy or flashy. It's just, like, really confident in doing what it wants to do and uh, and having, like, clever ideas that it follows through on. Yeah, that that's... I mean, it's kind of what I've always liked about Burns' work. Yeah, I mean, it, it's solid and it's it's kind of the... It's kind of the baseline for what you want something to be that isn't super splashy, mm-hmm. you know, because obviously we're, we're coming off here and you want to talk about a changing of the guard. You know, you go from Todd McFarlane up and coming. Mm-hmm. Here's what yeah, comics yeah, are yeah. going to be in Amazing Spider-Man to John Byrne on, frankly, the tail end of a very successful comics career, in, you know, that goes a decade plus by 1989's West Coast Avengers. Um, but, you know, now Kiri is like he's he, it's interesting because he's kind of in that 1971 Kirby phase of his career. You know, in some ways, not that he's Jack Kirby because he's not, but he's obviously influenced by him where it is that thing of like, yeah, they still got it. They still can do the thing that they do, but they're still doing the same thing. It's not like Byrne has reinvented himself. You know, he just has the confidence and no, skill set. Yeah, we, we were talking about doing. someone in the Slack today, Matt, <laughs> asked, uh, when does Byrne burn out using two burns? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and I'll be curious to see that, right? Because like he does a he does a Namor series with uh, that he writes and draws for a while, and then Jai Lee takes I over the art. Quite dislike that series. Yeah. So I... if there are fans, let me know because my my opinion of that series might be heavily skewed by the fact that I own every issue, <laughs> and my copies are like they look awful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I might just have bad comics, literally bad. And, comics, and then but, I know uh, his, if you like that, his mid nineties Wonder Woman run is not particularly beloved i don't think yeah pretty sure. I, yeah i got no time so i mean it, it's like this and then she hulk which he's doing right now and then it's like i don't know what he does after this that people his spider-man later i i don't think well people... he scripts uh he scripts hellboy seated destruction well yes so i don't yeah, know yeah. i don't know how much we give him on that one but he's he's around yeah. for it yeah, right yeah. he's, he's yeah, a part he of it so that. um yeah it's just interesting seeing you know when that's gonna when that will turn, right? And, uh, and well, we won't the be curve. there for it. Yeah, I don't think I, I do. I do want to read some <laughs> of that name more. I, mean, I, I think it will be cur- even if it's not that good. I'm curious to just check out sure. a little that name more, especially with Jai Lee. That will probably be like very early Jai Lee art. Yeah, yeah that part of it does make it interesting. Yeah. Um, it's got some really fun covers. Yeah, just absolutely, Jack <laughs> Namor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's worth exploring just for that. Uh, so one of the biggest through lines here in West Coast Avengers is Tigra. Wanda. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> his tiger is around, and she is generally uh, pretty naked. Um, but there is uh, Wanda and Vision in the miniseries that we did not read, which is Wanda and Vision uh, in the suburbs. Uh, they have twins, okay? Mm-hmm. They have Tommy and Billy. They have twin children. And it's, I think, fairly clear even from the outset that, like, Wanda kind of does some, some power stuff to make this a possibility, right? Because guess what? Like, kind of a tough sell like even right now obviously as we as we talk about these characters more and more it's like how did android and a, a mutant witch have kids you know it's like there's i mean they, they explicitly some show him nude out. here and it's just like oh there's there's nothing there so what uh going on well that's kind of mean of you to say he doesn't have a talk lot about a, talk about an android like that going on not e- not even a triple a AAA down there <laughs> Um, really busting out these vision zingers um yeah no so it is like okay but they have twins and the thing that keeps happening is when wanda is distracted they keep getting different babysitters and all these babysitters keep losing the kids okay the kids keep (laughs) vanishing like the solution to the the answer to this really cracked me up right which is like what you said which is eventually they they kind of find agnes hark agnes agnes harkness no agatha (laughs) no that's wandavision yeah agatha harkness um figures out that it's just like when when Wanda's mind is not on the kids they vanish <laughs> yeah. which I think is like kind of funny to me right just like that concept of if you're not thinking about someone they vanish which is something that I used to think as all as a the parent time. it's Schrodinger, it's Schrodinger's kids well, I'm sh- you know? oh yeah I'm sure that takes on a whole new context as a as a parent but like I think that with uh, I used to think that when I was a kid all the time like six and seven that idea used to really freak me out that I was like Nothing I'm looking, not looking at right now exists, and it only exists when I'm looking at it. Like, I had that idea a lot when I was a kid, and I was like... You are thinking that at seven? Well, yeah, it was just like... You're like a young Jacques Descartes. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my simulation and simulacra. Uh, I was I was really into that book. But like, Advanced child. I mean, I didn't think about it in philosophical terms, but I used to be like, Japan, I'm reading about Japan in a book, but like, it doesn't exist. But if I go there someone's gonna put it there for me to find right like i have that mm. they used to really freak me out as a kid but it's kind that of that also sounds like most conspiracy it. websites at this point in time <laughs> yes god i should really Sadly. launch that as the next things yeah, yeah right all right so yeah the, the kids are so kids kids be vanishing existence. right the beginning of this is vision is missing and uh and we find out that mockingbird has worked with who she thinks is shield and then thinks she was double crossed by the kgb of someone to come into the Avengers and erase all mention of Vision from all, not only all the Avengers computers, but like every database out there. So like every connected database, Shield, the government, whatever. So like, Vision- and this is in response to the Ultimate Vision storyline that we read the end of mm-hmm. in uh, Stern Avengers, which actually those might be issues I like more than this. Um, but where that Vision good, like yeah. kind of comes close to taking over the world basically and they're kind of like okay this is a threat we need to dismantle him um so that that's big that i would say my favorite john Byrne art of the thing he really leans into the machine component kind of kirby style of like vision disassembled you know quite literally and the way he's like vision is sprawled out on a table yeah, that, that opening ooh, panel that of vision's for, head so without good. the skin it's that stuff is incredible detail work um some of some of my favorite art that i think we've seen yeah from jb yeah that that page is a really like attention grabbing like that really grabs you by the lapels when they finally find vision and he is just components on a table in a vaguely human shape <clears throat> so, and got to give the the inking and coloring credits there on that panel on the series to Mike Mocklin and Paul Beckton who uh, perfected. I, I think that vision shot 
is is absolutely excellent. But again, like all these things are happening, and obviously, like at this point, it should be clear, like this is going to be a big story for Scarlet Witch because her kids are disappearing and her husband just got disassembled. And lo and behold, when Vision is rebuilt, he like doesn't know anyone, right? So they do get him rebuilt, but then he doesn't remember Wanda. He doesn't remember their love. This is pretty traumatic stuff um, for what was prior to this point a relatively happily married couple obviously with their challenges but like married with twins you know um and and now basically it's like yeah your husband doesn't know you but he's still around uh but he he doesn't like think anything of you you know it's uh it's messy i suppose but it's also like okay i I see the emotional angle we're going for yeah yeah well um yeah no i i totally agree and he does a good job of like interweaving this story with a bunch of other little like B plots without it seeming too busy, right? The pacing is very good. Um, those B plots are like Tigra is becoming more and more animalistic, cat like, like she's chasing down, <laughs> which I, I like. Like he does the B plots, and it's kind of just like Tigra's doing this, and that becomes the preoccupation of U.S. Agent for a while. Like that is also U.S. Agent's story is just chasing around Tigra, yeah. being like raw mice, not on my watch, and then like. Yeah. The, the, when she finds him in the woods, it's a very good scene of uh, him trying to be stern with her. She's reverted back to Tigra and is being kind of, like, playful and flirty. And it's just zoomed in close on their faces as she gets closer and, like, is disarming him by just being like, you're kind of cute when you get mad. And then she bonks his head like a cat, which is a, a good moment. Like, she just kind of, like, you know, nudges him forehead to forehead. Um, yeah. Good, good Tigra moment without... I, I mean, sexualizing her more than she just kind of generally is. Like, she wears her bikini but besides that i don't he's doing it, it i don't it think this comic leans too heavily on on sexualizing the characters yeah. which you might expect actually yeah. um that i don't think that is one of its major crimes uh for certain yeah. so the organization too that that does disassemble vision they do also have plans for wanda okay and as the as the story plays out it's kind of revealed increasingly that like they they want to really convince her that her mutant heritage is like there's a whole convoluted cosmic rationale it's, for this. But basically, yeah. it's like that her mutant heritage means she should be superior. And it kind of gets Wanda back in the mindset of like, hey, I think Dad Magneto was right. Uh, mutant should take over. And they're kind of trying to turn her into like a darker Wanda through this this process. Right. Sure. I mean, there's like a whole, yeah. there's a bunch more cosmic stuff to it. But that's kind of the net. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it, it's this whole like idea of the evolution is that there's a there's a like a parasite that has been hiding in every organism cells that like is waiting to pounce out to like overtake uh you know it like pushes push the fish over whatever organism was before and then the birds over them and then dinosaurs and mammals and etc and it's going to like activate to push the uh mutants past the the humans which is pretty interesting yeah like if you if you like pages of how the first amoeba started and how it's actually yeah, was, a secret ancient it. evil you're gonna love this it's surprisingly <laughs> not that like far off how that stuff actually worked like did you know dave you know about the mitochondria sure. right you played parasite eve i know the name it's sure hit me component of the cell it has its own dna separate from your own dna that you get from your mother only uh-huh. and uh uh-huh. the prevailing theory is that mitochondria was its own like creature back during the the days of single cell organisms that infiltrated single cell organisms and like rode them basically created a symbiotic relationship and now is just like the most successful symbiotic relationship in history because it is uh so we all have a little symbiote inside in every single cell yeah Yeah, exactly all your mitochondria that's amazing yeah that's amazing separate set of dna than your planet of the symbiotes all in here um yeah so the uh what was um 
I don't know. You dropped so much science yeah, on I got, us. I, got, I, got, I just feel like we maybe we just change this to like my scientific year. Yeah, I, I'm curious. My how mitochondria that's, year. I'm curious how that's gonna <laughs> play. My to Marvel. Curious how that's gonna play out with Wanda, <laughs> right? Like, I, I think th- I like the idea of dropping these seeds. I, I, I know House of M plays into this somewhat later, but I don't really know Whoa. how. Whoa. Yeah. So, like, I mean, without without saying no, I, it, I don't you know, know much like, more because that's not because it'll bother some people yeah, in the club. Yeah, yeah. But like this this storyline and pushing Wanda into kind of like Dark Wanda. This is not the first time we've seen Dark Wanda, right? First of all, like first mm-hmm. off, like John Byrne yeah. had a hand in Dark Phoenix Saga. So obviously like that is something that's near and dear to his heart. Okay. Is taking like, hey, do we have a powerful woman like character? Let's let's make her evil, right? That idea has been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, we also saw it in Avengers 185 to 187 where Wanda is possessed by Kthon, the yeah. demon, right? In in that story, which I believe is Most, written by David Michelinie. Mostly uh, memorable for circle. that incredible cover. Right, that one very good cover. Some good, good covers yeah. in there. Um, but but this is kind of a similar storyline. But again, it's all like with the convergence of losing her husband and with all this shenanigans with her kids, which it, as we get to the very end of this storyline, it's going to really converge in like a, wait, what now? <laughs> like, what's going on with the kids? Because it really goes way off the rails. I up So just from 42 to 49, really like if you say 42, 45, 47 to 49. That's the Wanda story, mm-hmm. essentially, and the the kind of, like, making her dark version of herself, manipulated into thinking mutants are, you know, should be taking over the world. I would say that piece of the puzzle is all fairly strong. Mm-hmm. Issue 46 kind of stands out on its own because that's Hawkeye breaking from the West Coast Avengers. Oh, basically, my God, you know, I forgot all about it. Ah, how could yeah. I forget? And, uh, and introducing us to the Great Lakes Avengers, which is one of Burns' finer creations. It's uh, Great Lakes Avengers is a great idea. how good. I mean, like, between this and Alpha Flight, even if you don't like Alpha Flight, I just feel like those characters, I don't know, you didn't like their characters, but, like, I, I think he just, like, set moving in the Marvel world such, like, interesting, I guess, lesser... Well, you wanted... You want- characters sorry go ahead yeah yeah i it, it's it's close for me which one like i think i like the team of alpha flight a little more but like great lake avengers are so much fun like every one of them is a good creation like none of these are duds and they all immediate like you get one issue and it's like oh i i get all these people like i get their personalities just a little bit and i get all their powers and like yeah that's really tough to do <laughs> you know i think that's like a very hard thing to do and he uh, he does it it makes it look yeah. really no, easy. it's it's super strong, and I the goofiness and kind of the zaniness of GLA I think makes them for me a lot more appealing than Alpha Flight, even though we do have one Alpha Flight carryover here. Um, so on on GLA we have Mister Immortal, we have Big Bertha, we have Flatman, um, we have the guy who creates portals whose name Doorman. I'm blanking on right now. <laughs> Doorman. What's he? Doorman. Doorman. Thank you. And <laughs> uh, and then there's the Alpha Flight uh, little like uh, Pterodon, but I, I don't remember her name either. It's di- Dinosaur. <laughs> is is she from Alpha Flight? <laughs> how, how could I forget? <laughs> I, I didn't know she was from Alpha Flight. <laughs> I thought she was in Alpha Flight. Not that I know of. I'm she, making she, that up. She, I could be. Are you, either way, sense. Hawkeye wants to found like a, you know, he's, he's break off from the West Coast Avengers. He wants to kind of make his own Avengers unit, and he sees an opportunity with the Great Lakes Avengers, um, who again are just like a super fun zany team. Uh, I I love this introduction. It's a very good single issue. I mean, can, can we, if you're not feeling the rest of this run, just read this. Yeah, if yeah, for well, I mean, point. but um, yeah, di- dinosaurs kind of isn't that notable, but like Big Bertha, super fun. You know, you kind of just think like, oh, it's the Blob again, but like, no, she's really uh, agile, right? Like that that's kind of her thing. Like she's this mm-hmm. very large person. I guess she can switch back and forth between being like larger bodied and uh, smaller bodied. 
but like she's also very well when she's like not in superhero form she's like very slender and almost like a model literally seemingly pretty wealthy yeah yeah um but like I just like, you know, that her superpower in a larger body is not just like, hey, I'm fat, I can burst through things. It's like, she's just kind of big and bouncy and like, they're, they're, I don't know, he didn't crack a lot of jokes about it. She-Hulk calls her like Tubby once. That's about like the worst it gets. Um, yeah. But besides that, it's like, I like that she, to get up to the top of a building can just kind of like bounce up there. Right? She's like rubbery. It's fun. Doorman is- I don't know where I got the dinosaur thing from. Yeah, no. I'll she, be honest. No, I, I'm, I not, I'm not sure where I'm pulling that. She showed up. Doorman just stands against a wall and he just creates a portal to the other side of the wall, which is like such a fun and stupid idea. But like, it's <laughs> yeah. also incredibly useful. Immortal man. Is that his name? Yeah. Just can't Mr. die. Mr. Immortal. Which I don't think he has. Yeah. I don't think he has powers, right? Besides he can't die, which is like also a really good idea, right? Like he's not superpowered yeah. in other ways. He just like, he can just get killed. Like he'll just fight the bank robbers over and over again and knock him out and they'll shoot him and he'll get up and like, yeah, great, great team. Uh, excited to see more of them as time goes. Uh, okay, so let's... you know who else we're excited to see more of as time goes on? Uh-huh. Master Pandemonium. I knew you were going to say the, that. with the demon baby. Yeah, I was going to say let's get to this, <laughs> this last one. Yeah. So let's wrap this puppy up. Yeah. Avengers West Coast number fifty-two. So all the Wanda stuff gets resolved. Mm-hmm. You know, the Avengers they help her out of her hypnosis and all that stuff. But now we get the shocking truth about the Scarlet Witch's children, and uh, I gotta say it's probably not like unless you know. It's not a twist you saw coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we skip right? a few issues in the, like, the reveal of like, uh, yeah, your babies are my hands now. <laughs> some, some man <laughs> named Mr. Pandemonium like holding up his yeah. two hands and his two screaming babies. Yeah, I'll say I, I don't think this is nearly as successful as the rest of it. And not just because we skipped a few issues. Uh, I, th- I think this issue especially is a little overstuffed. And like... So, so the the way that this happens is that like Mr. Pandemonium is saying that like the two babies are parts of his soul. He's missing like five parts of his soul because he traded his soul to Mephisto when he lost his hand in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Gets his mm-hmm. hands back. He's missing his soul. He's now trying to get them back. The babies are somehow mm-hmm. his soul. That's not true. Mephisto lied to him <clears throat> and made him like a uh, vessel for Mephisto's soul. When Franklin mm-hmm. Richards mm-hmm. killed Mephisto. He dispersed, and then he came back. He's less powerful. His soul is dispersed around the world. He needs to get his soul back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Check, check, check. All checks out. Yeah. Makes sense. Good. Ba- okay. Basically, how it ends is that, like, <laughs> the, the babies get absorbed into Mephisto, right? Like, Mr. Panamonium is killed by Mephisto. The babies are absorbed back into Mephisto as part of his soul. <clears throat> but yeah. then, like... Which, which Mephisto says they always were. Right. And then, but Agatha Harkness and her, like, cat are fighting Mephisto, and it's something about, like... Because the the babies are part of like Wanda's creation as well, that it basically defeats Mephisto and like disperses him again, right? Like he can never really die because he's just the personification of evil, but he can be kind of like, you know, dissolved for a little while, right? So they they defeat Mephisto, but the children are gone, and Wanda has forgotten about them because they're based. Agatha just lays out like these babies didn't really exist, right? They they weren't real. Like she she even brings up like. Um, a woman having like a fake pregnancy, right? Or, um, hysterical pregnancy. That's not a great term for it, but I, I can't remember the. Is that, is that what it's called? That can't. I be mean, right. that's the old like nasty kind of a <laughs> sexist yeah, okay. term yeah. for it. Um, yeah, God, just like a false pregnancy. There you go. Um, it was basically that, except that because Wanda is Wanda, she's the Scarlet Witch. She created the children, right? But they are like manifestations of her own mind and energy. Mm-hmm. And now that they're gone, she like has kind of forgotten that they're gone and Agatha is being like it's the it's the kindest thing 
right? It's just kinder for so, her. To- I mean, Agatha helps her forget that. Right, yeah. She doesn't just forget. Like, yes, Agatha yeah, yeah. has a hand in making her forget. And, and she's convincing the rest of the Avengers, like, this is the best thing for her. It's better this than, like, her children are now gone and vanished, and yeah. you know, she doesn't. So, like, it's just kinder for her to not to remember them. I think as a story and as a plot, I don't, like, I didn't love this, but it also, like, you know, like, he knows how to tell a story in a way that does not seem, despite all <laughs> that wildness, like, I could recall it. Right, that that's like the mark of a comic that is not like we read that true, that sure. Engelhart Secret Wars three issue from Fantastic Four, and I I couldn't tell you what happened in that like two hours after I read it. Uh, Beyonder and Kobik got together; they okay. liked each other, and you know they got intimate, and yeah. now uh, Molecule Man joined them. Yeah, right. And uh, now they're all one big cosmic entity. I honestly forgot most of that. Ben Grimm had really sharp spikes. I think Sharon <clears throat> was blocky. Yeah, sub, no, sub- I think you're right. I think my my biggest. Yeah, go on. My biggest challenge with with everything to do with this issue is I don't think it's very good. And I I think, yes, it is memorable that you can remember the details of it, but it's also pretty out of left field. And it's burn overstepping, I would say, to be like, let me solve this continuity thing that clearly bothers him. Mm -hmm. Right. He's clearly bothered that like, wait, how could one envision have kids? That doesn't make any sense. Let me undo that. But it's like I I, I mean, he's stepping in and being like, here's a really elaborate way to undo that thing, which I'm, I'm not even like super opposed to it being undone necessarily yeah, within the medium like that. you know it's not like i'm so pro tommy and billy at this point or whatever yeah um yeah. It, it, it's a thing that you could address i don't think it it's not like it doesn't make sense to say like yeah wanda manipulated her powers here a little bit to to do this and it also kind of starts carving out like okay wanda she can not just alter probabilities but she can like warp reality yeah. right it starts playing the building blocks of that sort of power set i think all that's fine mm-hmm. i think all that kind of works it's a way of expanding this character um all of the Master Pandemonium and Mephisto stuff is just like, it's wild. It's like really far out there. And it's also like... It does come out of nowhere. It just, it, just yeah. it doesn't add up. It's like, what? wait, what? Why Why did her kids have to be pieces of the devil of evil incarnate? Like it doesn't... We jumped from point A to point Z very quickly. That's, that's and true. there's a lot there that we didn't add in the middle. It, it is interesting know? how like being a mechanically good storyteller can kind of cover up the like, that like, huh? quotient a little bit right like yeah because this is still like a very formally coherent comic that like some of that you know you just kind of buy it because he sells it well i i'm my problem so one um you're saying like you know he wants to fix a problem that he that bothers him i don't ever really care about i mean I, i sometimes that can be interesting but like i don't particularly care about you know the the author's like what they worry about, you know, as some kind of criticism. You see this a lot. Like I see that with different creators. Like, oh, they really hated. What do you this. mean? Well, like an, uh, someone who doesn't like run being like, well, the problem is they really wanted to fix something, or they really wanted to undo this other thing. They're being. You're right. I, I should prescribe to, motives it, to John Byrne. Even, I don't even know we, what he was thinking. But the thing is, even yes. if we know that, I don't really care. Like it, it, it kind of goes to a thing we hear when it's just like, ah, you know, the story sucks, and it was like all because the editor forced their hand, blah blah blah. It's like editors right, force right. hands all the time for stories you love, right? Like the editor, it, sure. it's only when something's bad that you use that as a, you know, a scapegoat for it. I, I mean, I, I think I just prefer to judge it on its own merits. Um, well, and I think on its own merits, though. I mean, yes, I think no. the stuff that came before works a lot better and is a stronger narrative than this issue now again like you said like we do jump into it i think i think you get plenty of background just in the single issue which is a testament to like 
effective storytelling in that regard. I think you can read this one issue and get the deal. Yeah. Um, that said, I feel like this one issue, you, f- I feel all these cracks. I feel all these seams, whereas in the previous kind of like just the build to Vision getting disassembled, I didn't feel those cracks in the same way. You know, I didn't feel yeah. like there's a lot of holes in well, this. Well, he laid a lot of track um, for that. Whereas this issue I do. Where this doesn't feel quite so so much like that. Um, you know, it, it does it, it does feel pushed through quite a bit faster, even though, you know, we didn't. Well, read. and I, th- I think the yes. And I think that one of the major challenges with West Coast Avengers number 52 is it. This is an influential comic. Mm-hmm. It has a legacy and it has a legacy that that means a lot to a lot of people. Um, some people hate it and, and some people have really enjoyed what has come out of that. Right. But it's like you can't it's not just like a well, did the story work and we're done. It's like, a oh, did he did this story work? And now burn has like controlled what the narrative will be. You know, in a way, like moving forward, whether he intended to or not. And I would suppose that he did, because, again, it's like this is a fairly I I think he is fairly controlling with how characters should be viewed. Yeah. um, Under his watch. I I think that is a tenant of a lot of his work. Um, You talk about the 90s Wonder Woman run. That's a pretty good example. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard Um, that a lot. So, yeah. So that the thing. okay, my my big the big question that like hangs over this for me is I think it is like it's very tired to punish women through their children in comics and media, right? It is just like, mm-hmm. it is not something that happens with the men necessarily. And it just seems like kind of a lazy trope, even at this point to like punish the woman via children, uh, miscarriage, whatever, right? Like we, we've seen it. In- Which Byrne does literally with Sue Richards in Fantastic Four. Right, exactly. Right. So like this it's tired for him and it's tired in general. And it's not like I think this is like inherently a bad story because like you said, like I, I don't really care about the domestic life of Scarlet Witch or these babies necessarily, even though I did kind of find some of that fun. Like I haven't really bought into that like domestic life with her and the, the children quite yet. And it doesn't do that much. But I, I just think like that's, you know, kind of a, a, a boring way to introduce drama. And it's also like it does feel kind of just like a, it almost feels like a forced reset of the character. Yeah. You know, which yeah. like, it's probably not. It's probably going to like, I assume at some point she'll figure out this happened and then all hell will break loose. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it is laying track for interesting thing, in, interesting possibilities. Um, It's just, you know, it's kind of a, it's a problematic trope, you know? To, yeah. To, I, I would agree with that. I would also say like one thing that, that Hickman talks about a fair amount mm-hmm. with the ongoing X-Men stuff is the idea of being additive, okay, mm-hmm. in like in all things of like okay, when we make comics, we are making additive comics. What do they add to this mm-hmm. universe? What do they add to this world? West Coast Avengers is destructive. It is well, we literally just talk about what can great, we take away? Great Lakes of it. No, right, no, like that's an additive idea, and it's very fun. I, I think I think, I think there's a fair. I, I think it's a mix here, but yes, I, I I hear what you're saying, right? Like he is he is undoing what came before, right? Someone else came along and was like, hey, they have twins, and he's like, ah, no, they don't. <laughs> right like yeah uh, in, in a way right and again it's just that thing of like what well and even probably more importantly what is this adding to the character of scarlet witch like sure. how is yeah. this developing that character that so that she can have better stories and that like as an individual character with agency in the marvel universe that like she can be better yeah. <laughs> and have better stories about her and really all it's doing is what you just said which is tearing her down taking away her family and showing how broken she has become. Yeah. Like, that's the focus of the story. It's not Daredevil born again either. You know, Daredevil born again, the kingpin dismantles Daredevil. He takes him apart brick by brick. And what happens in the end? Daredevil gets back up and becomes the hero. Yeah. Scarlet Witch doesn't get that. I mean, that. he even does that. She with, doesn't get a stand I mean, back up and be the hero moment. You get criticism. 
Miller gets criticized for doing the same thing with um, Karen Page, but he does the same thing with her. He gives her a whole arc, right? Like, she gets addicted to drugs, she hits rock bottom, but, like, her and Matt together rise out of their, their own problems. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about this. I don't really know, right? Like, does Byrne have plans? Does Byrne take this somewhere? You know, because, like, it, it is the long-form storytelling. Like, it is tough to just say, like, hey, this stinks because, like, it just puts a dead end on this character when, you know, maybe he's got he's got plans for her. I mean, you know, it's, so, it's always a tough So in my opinion, yeah. it gets worse from here. Okay, yeah, that's what I would saying, say. Yeah. I, I actually think what comes after under Burns' watch makes me harder on Avengers, uh, West Coast Avengers 52, than I otherwise would be. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was, if it was like, literally the end of his run, and it was just like, he left this thing hanging, I know how it gets handled in later Marvel stuff, somebody else picked it up, I would actually probably not be as hard on this as I am, but I actually think... The set, the follow up is cl- is clear to me that like he had nothing but bad intentions. Yeah. Okay. Um. Or or rather, I, again, I keep talking about his intentions. That's that's the wrong framing. There was nothing but de like kind of destructive deconstructing story mm-hmm. to come from this, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll we will. I don't know if we're gonna read more of this, but uh, I'm curious too. Like, I don't know I, either. I'm actually kind of debating. I, it. I quite, it's a, I quite it's a 1990 this, possibility. So, you know, like I'm. I was very. I was very. I mean, if if you want, I'll uh, I'll read this and weigh in on. Uh, like, I might just want read. To- uh, yeah, sure. Read. We'd read West Coast Avengers 50. Um, how about 56 to 60? Okay. Okay. Sure. And uh, and let me know if they should be on the list. Yeah. We'll do. Um, the. Uh, <laughs> I want to point out one other thing I do really like about this this run. Um, oh, and I, I just this is this is a conversation, a bigger conversation. But you know, when I talk about like it's a bad trope to punish women through their children, it's one of these things where like I think about this all the time. Where it's just like it's not frustrating because it in and of itself is a like a bad move, right? Like I don't think it is a sexist story choice in a vacuum right to have this happen right like these things exist because they're patterns and because we see them over and over again and it clearly shows like a, fr- a mental framework that puts women in like this is what matters to women right this is yeah, the role right. i mean same with fridging you know like killing a, f- a girlfriend killing a wife of a superhero even to motivate them it might be kind of boring writing but i don't think it's intrinsically a sexist thing to do it's just when you see it like oh this happens 90 percent of the time to the female you know romantic partners and they are almost always never fleshed out and it's always to motivate the male hero and you just see it over and over and over again and the the sheer volume of these and it's just like okay well this is showing a clear lack of like most of the heroes are men most of the female sidekicks or romantic partners don't have real inner lives they don't have much story to tell besides being motivation and this is the framework that we're like putting women in this is how we view what to do with women in our comics right so like that that's the you know, the frustrating part is just, like, I, I don't want to say, like, because I don't think this is necessarily a bad story decision. I think it's kind of bad in the context of a, you know, a larger framework of these stories. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. And I think, too, like, if you, like, reading this issue, I can think back to, like, okay, what are the other moments? And it's like, well, Avengers number 200 comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not as bad as Avengers no, number 200. No, I mean, 200, Avengers 200, I think, but... is bad on its face because it, like, is just, like... Oh, no, it's it's much worse. There's, there's bigger problems. But I'm saying if that's if that's the camp you're in, if that's the pool of reference points, that's a bad sign. <laughs> that's that's a bad sign. I, I, that, like uh, your story's gone off the rails. I, somewhere. I guess so. But I think I think putting this in the same camp as Avengers 200 is drastically like. <laughs> I, I think this. It's an example of a a Marvel female character mm-hmm. being punished 
<laughs> you're right it's evidence 200 is so screwy yeah. but it is it's an example of her being punished through her children in a yeah. way right and then it gets really really complicated yeah. on top yeah, of that yeah. um but to your point it is like it it is it's a trope and it's the repetition of it that i think makes it a negative and again just my big thing is like what does this tell us about scarlet witch as a character and what does this add to her universe yeah that is going to make her stories for her interesting. And the answer, I think, truly is nothing. I think it only takes away. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't, I now, don't mind. Now, it, it does on a power level basis. Like I said, it starts putting these building blocks for reality warping. That stuff is interesting, I would say, in and of itself. Right? That's yeah. taking Wanda in an expanded direction that I think could work. But unfortunately, it gets mired in this whole thing of her, like, you know, having um, a, a breakdown because, like, everything in her See, family is going I don't absolutely even think that's, awry. Like, I don't think, like... A story putting a female character through the paces and <clears throat> breaking her down and not having her have a redemption arc is necessarily that bad either, right? It's just that, like, I mean, you know, this happens to Green Lantern in, in DC at some point without getting... But he specific. gets the redemption arc. Well, like, 20 years later, right? So, like, you know, it, it lasts. I mean, a that's a... That, that well no it's not it's not that long either is the thing is it not okay. um I, I mean that's the yeah thing, well, like, I mean, if you look at batman about, stories it, yeah. there are all sorts of superhero stories there's a framework of hey let's beat them the heck down yeah. to the point that they don't we don't think they can take anymore and then they're going to come out of it like yeah. i i am not saying that is a story trope that shouldn't be used because many of my favorites do use it no you know, see, I, that, well I guess that's what that. you're saying versus like i mean captain marvel just got depowered and it's like what's happening to monica rambeau i mean <clears throat> And it's like, what's up with Monica Rambeau right now? Nothing. They didn't have an interesting plan for her. I find the idea of uh, Scarlet Witch just being like having her children taken from her, having her power increase, having her have these like ideas of mutant supremacy planted in her and her having a heel turn and like genuinely not even redeeming herself. That could be interesting, right? Like it's fine for women characters to be written to be bad and to be like, you know, I I don't know, have this like this series of bad events happen to them, right? That, That... yeah, I guess it's like we said, it's, you know, it's about the patterns, it's about the, like, do you have bigger plans for this, or are you just kind of, like, getting cheap drama the only way you know how, which is to you know, strip a, a female character of their powers. It, it's like, I, I read a thing the other day by a um, this queer author on Twitter that's been, like, sticking with me, and they were talking about how frustrating it is to be a queer author writing queer literature, because they feel like they are held to the standard of, like, I can't do a bury your gaze trope, right? Like, I can never have a gay relationship in my books that goes poorly because then people are mad at me yeah. because it like leans into this trope. And it's like, that's really frustrating that I'm so limited in what I can do with my, my writing. Right. Because like, I want to write like abusive gay characters. I want to write characters who are, you know, bad, messy, complicated people. The but, full spectrum. Yeah. Right. Like, because queer people are just like any other people. They can be good and bad and they can have bad relationships and abusive relationships and they have good, re- you know, like, but there is, is such a, a dearth of material that shows, you know, the like a positive normalized queer relationships that there's this like kind of responsibility they feel, they feel guilty to not give people that. And, you know, they're just like, I want, mm-hmm. and it's kind of how I feel here. It's like in a world where there is really an equal ground for male and female and non-binary at this point superheroes right like a a wide world of superheroes a wide world of women superheroes to exist in it wouldn't really be bad to torture one and take her kids away right and have them every (laughs) script from her right like that doesn't feel that bad in a world where it's like yeah the women superheroes have all the types of stories just like all the men do but it's anyway okay well I'm i'm glad we talked about this i feel like this is something that's been brewing around with just like in general with the way that women are treated because i feel like in comics uh where it's just like 
some of this is like you know it's not intrinsically bad i think that's a good point to like to kind of um you know nail down and it's a tricky place for authors i think sometimes because it's just like the story you might be wanting to tell is not like there's nothing fundamentally sexist about it it just like you have to look at the larger landscape and sometimes that can be limiting so um the the one other thing i do want to bring up hawkeye is so good here it's the first time i've liked hawkeye because they make him like he gets the tone that hawkeye's kind of a buffoon and yeah and like the banter between him and mockingbird is so good in that like it, they're like kind of flirty but she's also just like she comes in and she gives this confession and scarlet witch is like why did you tell us that like why did you say it like that and she's just like i don't know i came in and i saw hawkeye and like clint just he has a way of making me say things that i don't really want to like i do <laughs> like i do as in like i do marry you like or at, at yeah that yeah Which no is they're, they're still married so at this point good. there's but so many good singers against hawkeye here and it like it does a lot to kind of like temper him a little bit almost make him likable right that like other people are not just mad at him but like are kind of playfully ribbing him like it, it makes me he's he's like him at his yeah. maybe his most likable he's been in some time here uh yes i do like this characterization yeah. where he is like you said he's kind of a buffoon but he's he's angry and wants to be the leader you know but, but we, then somehow seen, he comes out of yeah. it likable well we've seen that with he's him also got Captain. the best arrow selection uh he he <laughs> saws through like a steel arrow. garage <laughs> The most amazing way. He shoots like it latches to the garage. A buzzsaw pops out of it. It goes in a perfect straight line. Oh, it's so good. So good. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I do like this Hawkeye. I like him with the GLA. I wish there was more Hawkeye in the GLA. Yeah, him him trying. Um, Because the thing thing. is, like, he shows up and he's like, oh, yeah, what a ragtag team. All right, I'll I'll, whip you into shape. And it's like, they're pretty good, Hawkeye. Like, they almost kicked your ass. Like, (laughs) they don't really need you. But he immediately is just like, all right, finally, a team of my own. It's like, you've tried this like four times. Never yeah, I like him wanting to like be head Avenger and like really taking that seriously. It's a good expansion of what of what he's been yeah. in the past. Um, yeah, fully agree. Uh, all right, so this is no, it's it's all well worth reading totally. to to know what's going on here. Again, these are big and they're referenced uh, increasingly commonly. So next time on eighty nine, it'll be our last episode covering eighty nine before we get into the nineties. We're gonna read Damage Control, which I'm super excited I've about. Never heard We're of. We're gonna this read before. a bunch of John Burns, Sensational mm-hmm. She Hulk. So you want to talk about um, John Byrne back again with a a really interesting series, honestly. And then we're going to read a Patreon-requested issue, uh, Uncanny X-Men number 244, I think it is. Dustin put that in there at uh, the the introduction of Jubilee, which is like we were going to skip skip Jubilee, but it's only because we read like so much X-Men already this year and somehow Claremont did, you know, all of Inferno and then also somehow like snuck a Jubilee intro in here. The crazy thing about 89 and and even 90 X-Men is like, yeah, how much happens post Inferno? Mm Because like Inferno is the front part of 89 and then there's just a gazillion things that happens in this book that comes out two times a month throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a very interesting era, but also like kind of quickly becomes like once Mark Silvestri's off of art, which I think happens sometime mid ninety, it's like the weirdest part of the Claremont era where it's just like this directionless mess until Jim Lee shows up. Um, and then the book kind of figures out what it wants to be again. Mm. But like yeah, the focus is he begins to take, like there's like a heavy Dazzler focus uh, for a minute. He brings back Dazzler the movie and some of those <laughs> villains. God. Like it's really just like, wow, what what is happening here? Um, we will not be reading those to to uh, spoil that. But anyway, you can find the those issues in the show notes for what we're going to read next time. And uh, yeah, you can go on over to patreon.com slash my here if you want to read ahead and, and see what else is very cool excited for all of it
Yep. So I'm just going to stay hot. Uh, he'll stay Zach. Music for the show <laughs> is by Disasterpiece. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next year. See you next year.